Hey guys, what's up? It is week 158, and uh, let's start this off with a correction. Last week I kept calling Nancy Allen Karen Allen. I know the difference. I don't know why I did it. I love Karen Allen and Nancy Allen. My mistake. I am dumb. Don't know why I did it. Also, let you guys know that I had another guest spot on 22 Shots of Moods and Horror Podcast. We cover the Human Centipede trilogy and a movie called Violence Voyager, which is also pretty wild. So if you want to hear my thoughts on those movies, go ahead and check it out. Should be up fairly soon on their YouTube channel, on their um, the Orphelia, you know, feed and all that kind of good stuff. Put a link below if you guys want to check it out. I guess we're going to hop into the reviews. And the first is going to be Carnival Magic from Severin Kids. This is um Al Adamson movie. Towards the end of his career, he did a couple kids movies. And uh, this is one of them, Carnival Magic. Watching that documentary, Blood and Flesh, the uh, documentary, I learned a little bit about Al Adamson and, you know, his death and everything. And towards the end, he did these kids movies. Carnival Magic, oh boy. Um, I'm going to be honest, it is a super weird movie. It's an exploitation movie. It was filmed, it's not an exploitation movie, but it's filmed like one. You know, it's a kid's movie, but it really has that kind of feel to it and look to it and everything like that. Um... I don't even know where to start with this one because it's a film about uh, a guy who works at like a carnival or like a, you know, circus kind of carnival environment. And uh, I, I don't even remember what his, his thing is. I think it's like psychic kind of gimmick or whatever. And uh, he's just really kind of asked to go away because one of the other kind of pe people there that um, is really popular who does the big cat kind of stuff wants him gone. So essentially he's about to get fired, get shit canned, and they learn that he has a chimpanzee that he, he brings with him and uh, wherever he goes. And this chimpanzee can talk. So he's like, why don't you put that in the carnival act? Of course, duh. But um, they kind of dubbed over the chimpanzee after the fact. So it's really poorly done. And the chimpanzee would just be like, yeah, that's great. It's pretty pretty silly and it has like those kind of shenanigans like where like the chimpanzees driving a car and cops are chasing them almost like a Smokey and a bandit kind of thing going on it's really goofy and silly but kind of funny at the same time and weird uh it's i, I like the uh, carnival aspect and the, the little bit of drama between everyone but it just it was kind of hard to keep my attention it's definitely one of these deals where it's like a curio so people like it for that and it's definitely batshit crazy the idea that you know it's a talking chimpanzee directed by kind of a horror exploitation director and this is a kids movie this also comes with uh, um a bonus feature on here um it's called lost um involving kind of like a farm home kind of family life deal um and also an interview with um some of the people that actually found Carnival Magic and were uh, helped to resp were responsible for remastering it. The movie looks really good and it's been remastered in good sound and master like HD, DTS and stuff. So that's pretty crazy. Um, the movie is worth watching if you like these kind of weird kids movies, but it's not something that I, I could revisit too much. It's, it's, I'm glad I saw it. And a lot of people consider it Al Adamson's best directed movie. Um, some of the acting is, you know, iffy in here and there, but it's not overly horrible. And I, I do think it's somewhat watchable. It's just not really my thing. Carnival magic, the excitement, the thrill, the adventure of the carnival. Marha, be careful. You want the chimp? You're looking at the guy who can get him. The most exciting, non-stop, fun-filled carnival that's ever come to town. Carnival magic. It'll knock you out. See Alexander the Great, the talking chimpanzee, drive everyone crazy in Carnival magic. What am I doing talking to a monkey? Alex, 
is on the run, turning the carnival upside down in carnival magic. A madcap monkey romp. Carnival magic. The most amazing thing you'll ever see. A talking chimpanzee. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, the next one here is by uh, Arrow Video, and this is The Wind, starring Meg Foster, um, geez, uh, Steve Railsback, Wingshauser, and this guy, his name is Robert Morley, I think. He's the, the heavyset guy in Theater of Blood that uh, Vincent Price, uh, you know, does some real horrible things to his dogs. Yeah, this one is directed by Nico Mascarakis, who did stuff like Island of Death. What else did he do? Zero Boys, tons of movies, Blind Date. Guy's got a huge resume, and I kind of like his movies. You know, they're not always perfect, but they're always kind of fairly enjoyable. And Island of Death is just a batshit kind of taboo-breaking exploitation video nasty kind of thing, which I, I do enjoy that thing, and I like that one. But The Wind. Uh, this takes place on a Greek island. Like, I, I believe it's a Greek island. Maybe it's just on the coast of Greece. But for the most part, all, a lot of his movies take place in these beautiful, like, Greek location because he is from Greece, of course. But, um, yeah, okay. Meg Foster is a writer, I believe. That's that's the stick. I, I'm pretty sure she's a writer. That's almost like all these movies. I don't know if I'm mixing it up with all the movies I've been watching lately. But she's kind of isolated in this cabin, and Wingshauser is like a handyman that's hired by Morley to kind of go around the area and clean up the house. She's renting it. And... Uh, kind of Meg Foster witnesses something that she shouldn't see. She witnesses a murder and it's done by no other than Wingshauser. If there's like four or five people in a movie and some, you tell me someone's going to be murdered, someone you're going to definitely, and Wingshauser is one of them, you're like, he's definitely the murderer. Um, he, he's crazy, as always. He's really kind of uh, full of energy and seems really sadistic and just batshit crazy in the movie. So basically, it's a big cat and mouse game of um, Wingshauser trying to attack Meg Foster in this house. It's like a thriller, but there's this backdrop of this beautiful island with this really heavy wind blowing throughout and, and pretty good atmosphere and stuff like that. Um, for the most part, I thought it was fairly enjoyable, above average. I, I liked it. There's some good you know, moments of Wingshauser being batshit crazy, and there's this really funny moment where him and Meg Foster have a really good discussion about what she's writing in her book uh, about, you know, murders. And she's like, I wrote lots of killing uh, in books and everything. And he's like, you ever need somebody to give you some hints on how to write it? You come to me. And he's like leaving and stuff. And you're just like, that's so on the nose. It's hilarious. But uh, it's fairly enjoyable. I liked it. It looked really good, especially the locations help and the atmosphere and everything. Um, sound design was was solid and everything with the wind blowing through. I like Mac Foster's. Always liked her ever since I was a little kid and saw her as Eva Lynn in Master of the Universe. And she's in a slew of movies I've enjoyed over the years. So, and Wingshauser is just a presence. Uh, no matter how you feel about him, he's a presence. I, I enjoy watching him. I think he's batshit. Um, yeah, and, and, and um, Steve Railsback pops up in here as a small role. He's kind of wasted, and and uh, I'm not sure how I feel about his performance. It's a really kind of weird kind of performance. Robert Morley's really funny as that kind of rich asshole kind of character that I believe he probably played a few times in a bunch of bigger, older movies, too. But, uh, yeah, there's a special feature on here. It's, it's the main one is a big kind of, like, 30-minute interview with Nico Makaraskis where he's, like, edited it, probably filmed it himself. He's, like, sitting in front of a TV, and he's, he just talks about everybody involved with the movie, including the score done by Hans Zimmer, and uh, everybody involved with it, uh, Meg Foster, and then he has some kind of sour words about Wingshauser and Steve Railsback. Uh, and you know, at this time, Wingshauser was not necessarily the easiest person to work with, had some problems, but um, enjoy hearing his candidness, I guess, if that a word. But he's very candid about it, the whole situation, and he seems genuinely honest, and Nico is one of those guys that I've always enjoyed hearing him talk about this kind of stuff. So if you like this movie or you like his movies, I would recommend grabbing The Wind from Arrow Video. Do you believe in ghosts, dear girl? I've never seen one. Neither have I. But at times like this, I feel them passing by. 
from her rear window, she witnesses a murder. Ah! A real one. Brilliant move, Tommy. Mr. Uh, Appleby, I... I think he's dead. At night, the wind comes. A vicious, merciless, killer wind. The wind can be very dangerous at this time of the year. You can't run. You can't go out. You can't hide. And you can't stay inside. Okay, guys, the next one here is another Patreon pick. Last week, I forgot to mention that The Pit and the Pendulum was a Patreon pick from Chris uh, from uh, Chris Rivers. This one is by my boy Jonathan Wilhelm, and he picked Hell's Kitty from MVD. Yeah, I had had my eye on this movie. I'm not going to lie. I saw it, and I was like, what is that? That looks nonsense. And Hell's Kitty is absolutely nonsense. So it, it takes place of this guy. He's in an apartment. Um, and he's kind of a weird guy. He lives with this cat, Angel. He loves Angel, but Angel is a, is a mean kitty. You know, and he thinks she's possessed. So he's telling this, what you think is a psychiatrist, the whole movie, and they kind of go through the whole story of him and his friend um, trying to get this um, cat um, possessed and the cat attacking certain people and all the weird characters they kind of run into, which is like a, a slate of kind of like, um, you know, convention uh, celebrities, including uh, Michael Berryman, who plays Detective Pluto. Hey! Uh, Courtney Gaines and uh, the, the guy who plays Damien. What's his name? It's not Damien. I can't think of um, the main guy from Children of the corn but both of them are in here and they play these kind of uh you know they basically play the corn kids grown up then adrian barbeau pops up a bunch of people pop up in this thing um lauren lynn lowry kelly maroney and all and they're all trying to help him you know get cure this uh this this evil cat it is nonsense it is ridiculous it is really silly too because they'll like cut to the cat and it's like it's just laying on its back doing you know cat things and they're like <gasps> it's just it's kind of funny and it's it's definitely it understands what it's doing it's not like this is you know it's definitely in on its own joke of its ridiculousness I mean, it's not really super well made or anything. It's very dark in a lot of places in the apartment and looks kind of cheap at times. But I, I, I would be a liar if I just say I, I laughed a few times. And uh, his, his, uh, his friend is also absolutely ridiculous. The whole movie is absolutely ridiculous. And they have so many horse shout outs that are so obvious. And they're obviously fans. It's, it's so on the nose, though, with all this kind of stuff. Um, I think Berryman was pretty funny in it, too. Even though it was just a small little role. And Adrian Barbeau did well. But um, I don't know how I could, you know, go 
go give this a strong recommend. I do think it's funny, and I do think some people will really enjoy it. It's cheesy, goofy, and and just kind of a good time, but also really dumb and just ridiculously dumb all in the same breath. But that's Hell's Kitty. Um, so maybe like a slight recommend. You look nervous. If you'd been through what I've been through, you'd be nervous too. Angel. Angel. What did I scare you? I just brought you some milk. But the nightmares just kept getting worse. I don't even know where to begin. My cat. I can't wait to pet her. She would get too jealous. All that because some obsessive chick had a crush on you? I'm telling you, man, you need to exercise that cat. Have you ever performed an exorcism on a cat? Okay, the next one is from Uncorked uh, Films, and this is Dreamland. Uh, this is a screener sent to me. This is by, I believe his name, the director's Bruce McDonald. That's the same guy who did Pony Pool and, uh, what is it, Hellions? It, I think it was called Hellions. I really like Pony Pool, and I was a big fan of Hellions. A lot of people hated Hellions. I loved it. I thought it was great. I think it is called Hellions, uh, but it's the one that takes place on Halloween and everything like that. Um, Dreamland, this stars, of course, Stephen McHattie, who's in, um, you know, uh, Pony Pool and a bunch of other Canadian films. He's in Mother as well, so... He's a very familiar face. Was in this year's Come to Daddy. And it also has Henry Rollins in here, of course. You know, everybody knows Henry Rollins from a slew of movies. And, of course, you know, his uh, Black Flag and all that. So, okay, what we have here is a dual role by Stephen McCaddy. One where he plays kind of this, uh, is it a trumpet player? Who's like world kind of famous musician that he's hired to, uh, you know, play during this kind of wedding. And he's also um, a junkie, kind of a drug addict, and he's just kind of on his last leg, doesn't really give a shit about anything. And then we have the other role that Steve McCaddy's playing is kind of a hitman, and he's working for Henry Rollins, and he's supposed to get rid of some people, and he ends up doing it. But what he what he does is, it's, um, when he does get rid of these people, it kind of triggers this whole thing of child porn ring and everything like that, that he is kind of uh, responsible for on accident of his boss taking over, and it complicates the matters, and he's kind of disgusted with himself and somebody he knows kind of gets drug into that and he just you know he is a killer he is horrible in a lot of ways but he can't live with that he is also hired to get the ring from his other you know kind of self the musician and that kind of complicates things and it gets real weird about halfway through i don't even really want to spoil it but the person who is at the wedding is actually for a creep who wants to marry one of the child brides so it makes it completely even more ridiculous and there's these moments where you don't know at first when you're watching it you're like it's kind of mixing like you're like oh is this like an alternate reality with these characters it's the same character and it gets really kind of weird and at times dreamlike obviously within all the title and everything like that there's some really kind of uh dark comedic moments especially with the pawn uh pawn guy and his wife um and, and pawn shop people and that that's really good scene kind of really crazy 
And like I said, it gets so weird. There's a couple scenes in here that get so batshit towards the end and when there's one character that's introduced and during the wedding it turns into a bloodbath, of course. I, like I said, the more I talk about it, the more I'll spoil it. McCaddy's good in both roles um, and, you know, it's a redemption story for a bad person. So I kind of like that, has that going for it too. Henry Rollins is really intense in it. Um, I don't think it's his finest performance, but it's not horrible or anything like that. Solid, kind of bad, um, kind of gangster kind of guy. Um, really bad. But uh, yeah, you know, and there's this weird gang of children running around the streets and everything like that. Um, it's just a kind of a bizarre, weird movie, and uh, it's definitely kind of intriguing. I, I wouldn't say I absolutely loved it, but I would say it's it's worth checking out for sure. And I think a lot of people will will dig this. I, it's going to be a, you know people will like it or they'll hate it. I don't think there's going to be many. I, I know I'm coming in like in the middle, but I can see people absolutely adoring this thing and people absolutely hating it at the same time. I really feel it's going to divide the audience. I don't think it will get a positive um, or negative reviews one way or another. I think it'll be down the middle. But that's Dreamland. It comes out shortly on VOD and everything like that. Information will be on the Screaming Toilet page, so check it out. Links are below. I can shoot a guy in the head. I can drop him in the river. I can kill his wife and his dog. There's something wrong with you. Princess here is getting married tonight to the Countess's brother. We don't do this. We are expanding the business. I want you to listen to me. Hercules. He has your sister, but it's all right. I'm gonna get her. Excuse me, maestro. You know the trumpet player? I want his finger, the right pinky. Just snip it off. I need you to do me a big favor. This is for love. You're a sweetheart, you know that? I want his head! But you have to understand one thing. Where's my bride? We start out as a bunch of people, but we end up as one. Shoot my husband for me. What? What? You're the savior. Who are you saving? I've got to get him out of here. Do you have a plan? No. Okay, starting to start the run through 91, and this the first one this week is the classic Wes Craven movie from 1991, The People Under the Stairs. Yeah. Um, I actually asked a question on my uh, Facebook. I said, what is the worst horror film in 1991? And uh, the week before that, I asked, what is everyone's favorite? And People Under the Stairs was almost on. I gave five. I said five favorites, and most people liked People Under the Stairs. The funny thing is, um, people hate hated people under the stairs as well which kind of blew my mind because like there's so many much more poor films from 91 and i know it's you know subjective but i think objectively there's far way worse movies in 91 than people under the stairs uh i, I was born in 86 so i kind of was like five or six and this was on the movie shelves at the video stores and everything so the movie always intrigued me i saw the trailers and everything and um Wes craven he has obviously has a track record for some great horror films and this i think is one of them i know a lot of people don't love it and I know it's kind of offbeat and a dark comedy and the mixing of you know it's like an urban fairy tale some people say meets a gothic kind of horror like big house kind of story with the crazy incestuous stuff and and the the kids in the walls but the idea that people under the stairs like that literally there's a whole group of 
like mutated kind of deformed like mangled kids under the stairs is creepy like it's always been kind of a creepy thing to me um it's got a really good cast i can't think of the woman who plays woman in the movie but she was in twin peaks and everything and she's paired up with everett mcgill who i believe they work together in twin peaks and everett mcgill i, I love he's in under siege 2 silver bullet and uh man he is so good in this movie. I love him. This is one of my favorite performances in '91. He he is so creepy. Him and um he he works so well with the the woman. They're called man and woman in here, and they're basically these rich people that you think are husband and wife. And of course, there's some twists going on, and they are just kind of really sleazy landlords, kind of terrible people. Own half in the neighborhood, live in this big kind of decrepit house, and they have a daughter that they keep under lock and key. And they have all these dark secrets. But essentially, what happens is um a young boy tries to name fool tries to break into their house along with a couple other guys one played by tony um uh, tony todd. i was almost said tony todd i can't believe that ving rames um you know tony todd got to start kind of around this time with like night living dead and platoon and everything but yeah yeah it's uh ving rames uh, so ving rames is really young in this role and uh him and uh fool break in here and uh, it's a really good performance by a young actor a kid here which is kind of crazy to me they break into the house and and some crazy things happen and it's just wild really there's like kind of three main protagonists with the parents and then um the uh the dog and stuff and uh, there's all these like ca caverns in the walls and everything i just always liked it and the dark humor is really what works for me everett mcgill's performance the way he's just always screaming and just being ridiculous and just like a, a racist piece of shit but like he wears this gimp suit that he puts on when he goes and, and chases the kids and everything and there's some weird shit going on there and he, he um, gets and when it, there's one point where he's shooting up at the, um, in the ceiling and all this dust falls in his face and he's like I can't say shit he's just so ridiculous but um, honestly he reminds me a lot of my friend Brandon Salkill when he would act and he's kind of the same build kind of like wide shoulders and tall and, and lanky I just think that he's like a sh Brandon is a shoehorn in for um, Everett McGill in this movie I think it's perfect and he just he has these weird like extra like these weird kind of quirks about him that I think are perfect. I really like that it's a you know a lot of people probably just like this movie because they're more, so more used to like Wes Craven's darker stuff like Glass House and Hills Have Eyes, which I really like, and is more I would say surreal, imaginative stuff like Nightmare on Elm Street, which I also really like. But this one is just like a weird mixture. Like it's by a kid's point of view, so you have like almost like. Uh, childlike quality to it, like uh, Goonies or something, with a kid kind of going through that. But it's also gory and weird and darkly comedic, and um, you know, it's a, it's it's social commentary on some things about the the rich feasting off the poor and all that kind of stuff, and the, directly with the people under the stairs. But um, I really like it. You know, Craven always has kind of a message, but I think Craven's predominantly a suburban whore kind of guy, like upper upper middle class. But this is almost like the urban setting invading the upper middle class and finding out underneath that layer of what is, you know, money is just a decrepit house and, and decrepit people inside and just disgusting. You know, it's not what you, well, not what it seems. But um, I really like it. Uh, geez, Sean Whalen's in here as Roach. Very memorable scene. He's kind of the main guy crawling through the walls, and he's got a, he's got a great voice. I, I remember this movie a lot with the tongue his tongue's cut off and see no evil hear no evil say no evil no this was kind of a favorite as a, as a, when i was a kid and i still really like it Rewatching it was really fun i think screen factory cleaned it up really well they put a nice um dts master sound on there and everything like that there's some features on here special effects they interview the k and b which is great to see them talk about craven and working with him and everything like that and they have an interview with the woman on here talking about how they hired her and got ever mcgill because i thought the pairing was great um a nice release looks really good um 
Um, and one of the better movies in 91, if you ask me. I've always kind of liked this one. And rewatching it, I was really happy to find out that I, I still love it. So, yeah, that is uh, people or the people under the stairs. In every neighborhood, there is one house that adults whisper about and children cross the street to avoid. Now, Wes Craven, creator of A Nightmare on Elm Street, takes you inside. Something's in there. We gotta get out of here, Leroy. All sorts of rumors about what goes on in that house. The police never took it serious. She's been feeding that thing between the walls again. Very, very tense about this. What goes on in this house is a sin. But what goes on under the stairs is a nightmare. Wes Craven's The People Under the Stairs. Okay, the next one for the run through 91 is the story of Ricky. Um, yeah, this is a Hong Kong one, right? I believe. Uh, yeah, and this is the Shriek Show Media Blasters release. I think it's out of print. This really needs a nice, uh, you know, Arrow release or something in stateside or some nice deluxe edition because the story of Ricky or Riccio is fantastic. I, I don't know the Magna or Mega. I, I'm dumb. Don't listen to how I say things because they're always wrong. But um, okay. So I, I don't know the you know that very well. I've only seen the movie. This is the second time watching. I hadn't seen it since high school. So I put this in and I was like, I remember this being cool and gory and over the top. And boy, man, um, this just, it just knocked my socks off rewatching it. I love the hell out of this. Um, Ricky is put in prison. He's very young, and uh, he's put into this kind of prison. This is a weird world. This isn't like a regular world. Um, it's hyper-violent and crazy. He's put in this kind of prison that's ran by these four kind of leaders that do each cell block, and the warden and the assistant warden kind of, you know, control them. So, like, each one of these people has, like, a special power. There's, like, super strong guy. There's a guy who throws, like, pins. There's this, like, really fast one that's actually supposed to be a man, but it's played by a woman, which I think is a really cool gimmick. And there's, like, this big tattooed guy and everything. So... He basically gets thrown into this, and he kind of wants to be left alone, but Ricky just can't watch people be picked on, and there's this old man who's beaten poorly, really bad, and he decides to take kind of vengeance on that and uh, treats the bad guys or the assholes uh, a lesson, and that kind of starts this kind of war with those four kind of guys in the cell, but also it goes all the way up to the warden, and Ricky just won't bend. Uh, so basically they start torturing him and putting pressure on him and hurting his friends, and of course he has no other choice to fight back. But Riccio is super powerful, so so like he, he's kind of like the fist of the North Star, so he can punch through things. So he like will grab his fist and just boom and punch right through people, blow holes in their stomach. There's some really this is a splatterific movie. This is super splatter movie. Um, it, it, you know, on the level of something I wouldn't say dead alive or something, but definitely it's up there, man. It's gory as hell, and it's it's like a cartoonish kind of violence. It's just I I was so happy with the damn thing. It's so gross, and the characters are so over the top. Um, the assistant warden. Is is so nasty and I just watched the Human Centipede movies this week too so seeing all like the part three with the gross warden and the assistant warden it's kind of like they ripped that off for, for uh, from Story of Ricky because the um, assistant warden has this like buffoon son or no the main warden has this like his buffoon son running around all the time and they're just so cruel and the assistant warden has like one fake eye and he pulls it out and keeps mints in it breath mints it's so gross
most. But man, the um, the fights are great. Um, the 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 gore, like I said, it, it's just the special effects, and it's just amazing. Like just there's the uh, infamous fist to fist explosion. There's the head being smashed. Just all sorts of crazy stuff. If you like like splatter or martial arts movies, this is a must. This is one of the coolest ones. It's also a prison movie. It's cool to mix prison with martial arts and splatter. You know, it's just wild. And and I don't really know if there's anything else I could say that would sell you on this one. Um, I really enjoy it. And Ricky's also excellent. I think he does a good job. And you you, you like his like you know his loyalty to the other prisoners and his friends, but. Just an excellent movie. I, I think it looks okay. I, I think Shriek Show did an okay job with it. I'd like to see like a really good j- release of it. So I don't really have much to compare it with because I've only seen a DVD and this. So, but yeah, I really like it. Um, and I was impressed with rewatching it. It's, it's better than it's ever been for me. So, a uh, story, Ricky or Rickio. <laughs> Okay, the next one here. Bear with me. I don't have a copy. I believe it was released by Shriek Show or Tokyo Shock, actually, Media Blasters, whatever, originally. I think it's called Mika Droid, or it has a couple names, like Mika Droid and the Disco Lala. It's crazy long title, and there's like Miki Odroido, and I'm just going to call it Mika Droid. Um, yeah, I had not seen this one. I had really heard about this, but it popped up, and it was a 91 movie, and I was like, I'm kind of interested in checking this out. I want to do... I, that's why he knows the pattern. I'm doing a lot of Asian, like kind of Hong Kong and Japanese movies this time around, and uh, I'm pretty sure that that this one is um is this one a japanese i actually should have probably put this one after blue jean cop but okay because i should have kept the hong kong ones together but okay we're going to mika droid uh yeah this is kind of like chopping mall but of course it's a japanese movie so somehow they have to incorporate world war ii or the atomic bomb so we have that element going for it so um the opening of this movie it's 1945 it's kind of the end of the war and this guy's been working on the super soldier program kind of like the captain america program and you know back in the old marvel comic books where they're making a super soldier to win the war so basically he's working on these three guys giving them serums and everything like that to make them super strong and one guy's been put in this kind of big Iron Man suit with these machine guns attached and everything like that something goes wrong they shut the program down he frees the two guys but um, he can't get mailed them a suit the android guy's kind of stuck there the whole thing crumbles down we fast forward to modern times and the two guys that escaped from the experiment have not aged that is the thing in the experiment they have not aged and they're kind of super soldiers but their friend who was put into the droid suit a kind 
kind of reawakens himself one day because I don't I'm not necessarily sure what reawakens him. Maybe it's like a crumble or something, but he's been built above on this big kind of skyscraper or something where they have like a disco in there in a parking lot. It seems almost like maybe it's a disco, but it seems like so much more is in there, kind of like one of these big kind of uh, poltergeist three giant buildings or whatever. But there's this disco there. And um, he breaks out of this like a kind of underground cavern and he, he kind of gets out and it kind of turns to chopping ball where he's like this big robot and he starts killing anyone he comes in contact with. And he has a, he has a katana and he's chopping their heads up, but he also has a machine gun. So first he starts picking off these kids and then kind of a, um, a worker there who's a repairman and one of the girls getting out of the disco kind of get cornered in the cavern and the two kind of old military guys, the super soldiers come back and try to stop him. And that's pretty much the whole movie. It's just kind of action packed the entire thing. Um, the droid looks awesome. He's like a big tin guy. He looks like the original Iron Man, you know, like the, the big kind of like circular head and everything, but he's got a machine gun. Love how he looks. Um, it's pretty gory, pretty violent, has some really weird kind of stuff going on. The skateboard kind of kill is pretty creative. Now I won't say it's not as creative as the killing down with the, uh, the, the, you know, Dick Moss movie, but, um, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's creative enough. I think I like it. Um, but I, I think it's pretty good. It, it's gory. It's action packed. It has some sort of sentimentality between the, you know, the super soldiers. And I like, you know, I do like how it ties back into, you know, trying to build these super soldiers and everything like that. There's military experiments gone wrong is always kind of a theme in, in films. Um, and I've always kind of dug it from Eternally Dead, uh, part three, you know, Troxen, two, four, uh, five, uh, and stuff like that. So you have all that going on. And then, of course, it's definitely a military kind of thing gone wrong. But the, the droid looks awesome. Um, the action's good. Um, I, I think the acting's pretty solid. And there's this really good moment where, um, one of the, the, the handyman gets shot and like the disco girl screaming and yelling. She's being really kind of annoying, hitting on the guy's arm and he's like, stop it. It hurts. And you're like, man, I, what is wrong with her? She needs to relax. And then she kind of realizes what she's done and you think she's going to be rude about it, but no, she takes off her scarf because she has blood on her hands. You think she's going to be mad about it. Like you ruined my dress, but no, she takes off the scarf and wraps it around his arm. And you're like, man, that just made both those characters like a connection between them and made them, you know, more likable because I didn't really think, feel much for either of them. They were just kind of there. And after that, you're like a little bit of that went a little bit of that goes a long way in movies so um yeah i, I enjoyed it i would recommend checking this out you know japanese chopping mall i guess you'd call it you can call it that um but yeah it's fun it's cool and it's a slasher with kind of a robot kind of guy android deal Okay, this next one is a Hong Kong movie. Fortune Star put it out, but I don't have the DVD, unfortunately. Pretty rare, long ago. I believe it's a Hong Kong one. And I've seen this called a couple things, like Blue Jean Cop, Blue Jeans Cop, Blue Jean Cop. So I'm kind of a Blue Jean Cop. And uh, don't confuse this with uh, The Shakedown with uh, Sam Elliott and uh, Peter Weller. This is not that. That's an AK name for that movie. This is Blue Jean Cop, a Hong Kong movie. This is a this is a batshit crazy movie. Kind of an action, revenge, horror hybrid. Um, you know, it's kind of like RoboCop. 
in a sense. It's kind of a lot like RoboCop with really villainous pieces of crap bad guys and, and a cop getting messed up and coming back with superpowers. So that's kind of like that. So what we have here is this fairly good cop. He's waiting on his uh, girlfriend to give birth. He's really excited about it. And um, he had, lives with his girlfriend, of course, his wife, I should say, and um, his friend, who is basically his partner's like son or something like that, that he feels responsible for his death. So they have like a bond in that. Um, there's some goofy comedy in here, too, with those two, like some back and forth. But pretty much in the opening of the movie, we have like six super violent criminals robbing a bank. And right when this breaks in, you're like, oh, wow. And like you see this weird comedic scene with like these guys trying to make this guy admit that he was like sexually assaulting a girl when she's sleeping. And they're like, it's not because she like, they, they're like kind of making fun of that. Like no one want to sexually assault her. And it's just like a joke really weird tone and it's weird as shit but then it cuts into like this crazy moment of um like this violent bank robbery where these six guys are just going in and they're like don't touch that boom and they're just wasting people and a hand gets exploded and i was like oh boy this is intense so these six guys are trying to escape they end up in a junkyard they kidnap one of the main girls in the movie um and the cop follows him into the junkyard he confronts him he captures him something goes wrong they uh, drop a a, a, a big old uh, forklift load of junk on him and uh, that they leave him it gets electrocuted and a cat starts licking him I don't know what the hell's going on but I mean that's that's a recipe to recreate someone given superpowers haven't you ever seen Batman Returns but something like that happens it's like a Frankenstein Batman Returns scenario here where he's electrocuted licked by a cat crushed by garbage and uh, he comes back but he needs electricity to survive so he's constantly like, draining electricity but almost right away he goes after the cops the girl gets Gets involved, his friend gets involved, and him and his, his his friend are trying to hide the fact that he's dead, or he's trying to hide the fact that he's dead, basically, from his girlfriend and everything, and hijack, hijack, hijinks, hijinks, man, I can't even say it today, hijinks ensue where, like, it looks like they may be uh, homosexual lovers, which is really silly and crazy, but he has this big hole on his body, and all these weird kind of gags happen in, in comedy, but the action's really solid, so he starts to, like, kind of track these guys down and, and, and start a war with them. I, I enjoyed it. I thought the action was like good. Like I said, I thought the lead was pretty good. He's been a bunch of movies. I thought the concept was fun. I mean, I like these kind of super cop movies like RoboCop or, you know, Maniac Cop or even Psycho Cop. I mean, those are more horse slashers. Um, but like what it happens to so many movies, BioCop, but like, it's just like, I was a cop and I got messed up and now I'm back and prove Wolf Cop, you know? So, I, so I'm into it. I like this one. I thought it was fun. I thought the action was good. And, and you know, it's a little sadder than you would expect if I remember correctly at the end. But there's a good action set piece in the junkyard. And then there's a really good action set piece in the bank. And then there's one at the very end in a warehouse that's really cool. Where some guy even comes at him with a chainsaw. So lots of cool stuff going on. Would recommend checking out this one from 91. Um, a unique movie I never would have watched otherwise. But yeah, good stuff. Okay, we have another one from 91 here. And this is uh, from Synapse Films. This is Battle Girl, The Living Dead in Tokyo Bay. Um, uh, you guys know me. I am a sucker for my zombie movies. I adore zombie movies, okay? So um, I was like, yes, from 91. And I, so I put this in. And this one, it, it has a crazy plot, right? Let me get into the plot, I guess. it's gonna, it's, It might take some recollection here. But essentially what happens is it appears that some sort of a meteor uh, crashed from space and it's carrying a weird metal. And it hit in the Tokyo area, Tokyo Tokyo has been sealed off, and um, tons of the people have been infected with this weird, I think, like um, nuclear kind of thing. But it appears that um, there's like a colonel or something or a major that's kind of gone AWOL, and he's like uh, in this weird facility, and he has these like henchmen, like these four super soldier henchmen, and all the soldiers have been modified. And this girl 
who is a colonel's daughter, and uh, her mission is to find the secret suit, the battle suit, the battle suit, and kind of like rescue people while everyone else is out there trying to kill them, and they're all trying to kill the zombies and uh, and the and the people, and she's trying to rescue them. So because this guy, of course, very Japanese thing in these movies, uh, it's very stereotypical in a Japanese movie that the main bad guy's motivation is he cannot let this get out um, to the public because he doesn't want to ruin Japan's reputation. So uh, essentially, Battle Girl has to fight the living dead and there's really cool scenes where like uh crazy like splatter and stuff and are knocking heads off and splicing them up and a really funny moment where somebody throws a grenade and it lands right in the zombie's face and it goes in and then explodes it's really goofy like puppet zombie thing but love that she also has to fight these kind of super soldier guys it's also cool and she teams up with a group of punks that sell weapons and uh you know supplies and everything like that but uh, I thought this one was enjoyable, really fast-paced, you know, and it doesn't really stop much. There's good special effects. It's low-budget, but fun. Um, and I like this battle suits. I like that kind of stuff. I like zombie movies. So I don't have much to say about this one, but it was right up my alley. The characters you like die or care, you know, she's really the most established character, but I think the bad guys are cool too. Um, and I, I kind of like everything about it, you know. Uh, it, it's really fun and really unique. Not super unique, but unique enough, I guess I'll say. And the plot's crazy enough that, you know, genetic experiments again, military experiments going on. So, uh, Battle Girl, The Living Dead at Tokyo Bay. Like it, good stuff. Oh boy, this is a wild one from Monarch Films. Again, another 91. 964 Pinocchio. I've never seen this movie. Had this DVD for years. Same director as uh, Rubber's Lover, which I've never seen have that as well. So, okay, this one's a little long. About an hour and 43 minutes for uh, this Japanese movie. And it, it's really expensive. Experimental. So an hour and 43 is, is a little long in the tooth, I would say, for that kind of movie. But hey, I'm sure a lot of people love this one. Oh, how do I explain this movie here? We have this character, Pinocchio, uh, 964, and uh, he's a sex uh, android or sex kind of slave that they've created in a lab. And um, I guess he's not no longer, you know, um, up to snuff. So they send him out in the streets and get rid of him instead of terminating him. And he runs into this kind of strange girl that seems to have memory loss. And they kind of pair up. And she starts to teach him about things and, and take him to the store. But pretty soon it turns into kind of a, almost be a, be like a sadist relationship where she's beating him. And there's, there's times where she's getting sick from the contact with him after they have sexual intercourse and, and, and close relations. So I don't know if he's contagious or what the hell's going on but the camera work is insane they'll do lots of really wild stuff with the camera point of view through weird weird stuff that's like really jarring and, and just uncomfortable and it, it's just kind of gross there's like points where it has like a possession scene where she's like in a the truck the train subway or the train subway the subway station just throwing up on the ground and picking it up and just whatever it's just i was like oh my god but it, it just gets so weird and wild and there's like some weird comedy moments where like she's teaching him his name because he's like it's all tattooed on him and he's like Pinocchio he's like Pinocchio Pinocchio and he's like screaming it but of course you know the the, the scientists that have created him a lot of scientist stuff in, in 1991 that have created him are sending a group of guys out there to you know uh, stop him and, and terminate him because they don't want him out in the wild because it was a mistake to let him go in the first place so there's all that going on and there's just like weird random moments that happen as well 
I would check this one out, even if it's just for the camera work, because the camera work is so weird and wild and just all over the place and, and uh, kind of unique and just done um, really weird, like lots of long shots and just shots of, you know, like how they're just like running and dragging these giant things around with them. Just a really weird kind of experience. And um, I'm not sure if I saw anything quite like it. I do think there's some, some wild stuff going on and it is kind of weird to follow, but I do think uh, giving it a chance is worth it. You know, I don't have too much to say about this one either. I'd like to maybe bounce some ideas off some other people on it, but just a wild, crazy movie. Hey guys, uh, it's not hammer time. It's blind spot week two, episode two. <laughs> I got from think season of a, four. A hand gesture for blind spot. People actually are like, what's Jeremy gonna do? Are we get a blindfold right. and have him like, ah, oh. <laughs> <laughs> we should. What do you, you? You look like an old guy. Like, let me, like, <laughs> Grandpa, no. Grandpa, you're not supposed to grope them. Yeah. I don't know. You guys have no clue we're making a joke yeah, or reference sorry. to. Sorry. Yeah. But um, we're here to review Magic. All that had nothing to do with Magic. Uh, the 1978 movie directed by Richard Attenborough. He's an actor, obviously, but he's also a director. Brother of David Attenborough. I like David um, Attenborough. Yeah, Richard Attenborough is a great actor, and uh, he directed some other movies. He directed Gandhi, which won an Academy Award. Mm -hmm. And uh, this movie stars Anthony Hopkins in an early role. Like I said, it's 78. It also stars Anne Margaret, um, Burgess Meredith, and Ed Larder. So it's got a really nice cast. And although it takes place in America, you would swear this movie takes place in Britain. It feels yeah. like a British movie. It feels a lot like the movie Symptoms by Jose Larraz, which is directed by, I think, is he Spanish or French? I think he's Spanish. But it's made in Britain, and it's a very British movie. So, okay. Wait, this is a British movie? No. Uh, I mean, it's a British director. Oh, okay. Maybe it was filmed in Britain, but it takes place in America. It feels very British, though. Yeah. It has a very British sensibility. Very... Hitchcockian kind of thriller wannabe deal type. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this I picked this one because I'd never seen it. Um, I had heard good things for the most part. Um, Anthony Hopkins is a tremendous actor, and I really hadn't seen much from Anthony Hopkins' early career. And um, I'm interested in Richard Attenborough as a filmmaker and an actor and stuff too. Um, so I, I wanted to check this one out. 
It also has a dummy on there, and it's a ventriloquist story. And I've seen a couple of those. And <laughs> I don't know. I, I tend to like them. I don't have much feeling or opinion about it as a whole subgenre. Okay. But okay, so magic. Uh, this is a weird one. Uh, like I said, it's got a tremendous cast, but Anthony Hopkins is definitely like this kind of damaged individual. It's definitely a psychological thriller, and mm-hmm. uh, he is kind of a. Um, in the opening, it's real weird because he's performing a, a show doing magic and everything, and he, it's, it's like intercut with him telling his, like, uh, I guess his, like, uh, he's his protege, so what would you call him? His mentor. mentor. His mentor, he's telling him all these things, that uh, how he did really well, but it cuts back to it, and it's all messed up and everything like that. He's like Mick. Basically, when Rocky tells Mick uh, Burgess Meredith that he won the fight in Rocky Three when he did, because because Burgess Meredith ain't doing well, that's exactly the scene here. So he he tells him all these things and he, he flopped. And then we fast forward a little down the line and we realize that um, Anthony Hopkins has to become successful because he's incorporated a ventriloquist into his routine. Yeah. But right away, you, you, you don't know. There's a couple ways this can go. You're like, is the ventriloquist evil? Is it possessed? Is it a separate entity? Or is it an extension of Anthony Hitch, um, Hopkins' like um, psychosis or something like that? This is definitely what you think. So Right. Um, and that's basically the plot of the movie. And, and right when he's about to get his big break from Burgess Meredith, who's his manager, and playing a character that is actually... The, the good thing about this movie is like all the side characters, like they have some grayness to them. But for the most part... I like them all. Like, I'm like, oh, these people are much better people than Anthony Hopkins, I think. So he ends up kind of flaking out and running to back to his, like, childhood, like, home and location. And he ends up going to this place where this woman he was in love with and, like, school or whatever um, mm-hmm. was from. Like, this hotel area, kind of these houses that they run out. And he runs into her and starts kind of a, a rekindle a romance. But she's still married and it complicates things. And the whole movie right. takes place in this kind of location for the most part. Right at this lake house. Yeah. This... Um, so... You know, and then then murders happen. Yeah. Um, so, wh- what do I want to talk about? I want to talk about Burgess Meredith. <laughs> this is actually one of the... Burgess Meredith is always tremendous, but this is a really good performance. This is a fantastic performance. And, and you know, I've seen Burgess Meredith in, like, five movies. I've and, seen him in quite a bit. And, and like, all of Batman. And I've always enjoyed <laughs> Burgess Meredith. He's always been, like, a delight to me. Like, an actual treat when he shows up in something. Um... And he was fantastic in this. I think, um, and he's kind of, he can be big sometimes, if you're, mm-hmm. a, a, or at least brash and loud, and even kind of mean, like Grumpy Old Men or um, uh, 92 in the Shade, which are great performances. Mm-hmm. But in this, I feel like he's a little reserved. And it's, it, it's very good. And he, he has this very, you know, when you paint like, um, kind of like a manager or something like that, they're usually assholes. But Burgess Meredith in this, he's caring. And yeah, he's like, he's tr- like a father figure. Yeah, yeah, and it's a really well done scene because you get Hopkins is very lost. He's a lost individual, and um, the way he talks to him, and it's a tremendous scene where he um, he calls Hopkins out and says, "Don't be." I don't remember what the dummy's name is. I can't think of his name, but he has a name. But he says, "Try not to be him for five minutes." Like it, he can't help himself. Mm-hmm. So like that's a really great scene, and, and, and right when he crosses that line, like it, it, you know, it's there's like kind of no turning back at that point. But and before that, I think Hopkins is a very sympathetic character, like because they do the flashbacks where like, and that's probably some of the sweetest stuff in the movie, like when they have him go back and look at his old family mm-hmm. home, and it flashes to like his family sitting on there, and then um, the cemetery, the cemetery, and also the point where he like sees the school and he's talking to Anne Margaret, and um, God, Anne Margaret is so beautiful and excellent in this movie. I mm-hmm. I love her, like she's great in it. She she's great in it. Anthony Hopkins is um. 
What's his character name in this? I can't remember. I can't think it either. Like, it's so strange. It, it's weird because, like, like, the, the, well, Meredith and, um, Hawkins, like, I, I know that these are, like, like popular actors, yeah. so I, I know them. So, like, when they say their character names, I just kind of, like, that's not their name. That's Burgess Meredith. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it looks like they shaved Burgess Meredith's head because I know he has more hair than that. I don't right. think he ever went completely bald, so it's like they shaved him to look bald. But, he, I mean, he, he looked good, but, um, it, yeah, so, oh, I got, I got, I got distracted. Yeah, you were so we never could really find out Hopkins. I can't remember his name, but like when they go back to the school, right? And like he has the he carried this like kind like this fire for this girl for so long, and and when he goes back and everything, and she's like running this hotel by herself, and he's like, I didn't expect to see you here. But Ed Larder's her husband. He's like away and everything, so it complicates the situation. But I love that it takes place on this lake house. Like it makes it completely isolated. Gives it like a is it? I feel like it's got to be fall or spring. Like it's mm-hmm. definitely not super warm out because you see their breath. But it gives it that perfect location, like an isolated kind of slow burn location. Like, like I said, I would compare this to something like Symptoms. If you guys ever seen Symptoms, and that's a really good movie with um, Donald Pleasant's daughter in it, and um, geez, what's the guy's name? He's he's in your favorite movie, Straw Dogs. Um, Peter Vaughn. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like I, I thought the prevent the performances are really what drive this. Like, mm-hmm. and Ed Larder's so good in it too. And like, and there's a point where like Ed Larder takes Anthony Hopkins on a boat, and he knows something's wrong between the, him and his wife. Mm-hmm. And you think Larder is going to try to kill him or something but instead of like being really aggressive there's this point where he's like he has almost like a a a, a heart to heart with him for a second he almost and then you're like oh like i hated i didn't like this guy really like you're not supposed to like him but there's a couple moments that makes him feel real and not complete crash till you were like man like i think hopkins is the worst guy here right was so um hopkins you know has has the affair with with the wife and um he's on the boat with what's his name ed lauder yeah um with lauder and you know like ed lauder doesn't know that they slept together. he does he suspects he suspects it and so you know he starts with like uh, you know my wife said you slept with her or wanted or or well the wife yeah, yeah. said that she wanted to yeah but they actually did, you know, and then so when Lauder's talking to Hopkins, he's like, hey, my wife said that you slept with her, and Hopkins uh, plays it off. He poorly. plays it off. He, he was like, oh, is that what she said? Uh, you, you know, and and then Lauder, like, kind of, like, breaks down, like, you know, I'm like, losing her. I'm losing her, you but, know, what What am I going to do? My real estate job was a yeah. failure, like, um, so yeah, you do feel bad for... Almost all the characters in a movie. Yeah, um... You know, and this comes after, you know, Meredith is out, out of the film. And so, you know, you, know, you, you start this scene where you think Lauder and, and Hopkins are going to, you know, get into it. They resolve the conflict that they had and they find, you know... Yeah, something else happens. Something that's else crazy. Happens I don't want to really spoil this because yeah, I don't feel I don't, like don't this movie spoil. is like Carrie. Not everybody's seen Magic. Yeah, I, you know, I've never heard of this movie. Um... And, and what's really smart about this one is, too, like, the title's magic, right? Yeah. Like, and it's all about trickery, like, taking your attention away from one thing. And, and that kind of thing with the, the ventriloquist is kind of that, too, because you never know uh, throughout the entire movie. You're like, is the ventriloquist alive? The, the dummy, I mean. Is the right. dummy, because he's the ventriloquist, but is the dummy alive? So it's like the magic and, and take, and even during one of the murders, they take away attention to make it mm-hmm. look like something else is happening, which is really smart. And this is one of the bleakest damn endings. It's sad. It's right. freaking depressing, to be honest. And, and I really like it. I wish I would have saw this years ago. Um, I'm a sucker for those kind of psychological, I would say almost psycho-inspired movies, mm-hmm. like even... um. 
uh, Killer of Dolls or any of those movies. I just like eat it up. Like I'm a sucker for like weird kind of depressing psychological thrillers from this time frame. Um, and, and the acting's really good because right. Hopkins does the voice of the dummy too. And, and Richard Attenborough obviously could get good performances out of actors. And it's also a thing where I never really thought I would see like a larder act with Anthony Hopkins. It's just not something that registered in my head. When I think larder, I think, oh, he's going to be in those tough guy movies mm-hmm. like um, uh, Death Wish 3 or Death Hunt or even True Romance as a cameo. But he is in some other stuff like Lolly uh, Madonna and stuff where he, he, he kind of goes a little bit different. And, and seeing him in this, like, you, you see how good of an... I think he's really good. I feel like he's oh, very yeah. natural. Very natural indeed. Like, everybody. I, I think, actually, I'm probably going to take some slack for this, but... If it weren't for Hopkins doing the dummy voice at the same time as his regular voice, mm-hmm. he might be my least perfor- favorite performance in the movie when you compare it to the big four. And I do think he's fantastic, and I think him doing the dummy voice, and you don't even register he's doing it, which is actually what makes it even a great performance, because right. his voice is so different. Right. And and so, well, can we, let's talk about the dummy then. Because yeah. we, we didn't talk about the dummy, not very much. So, um... I never knew that ventriloquist dolls were as complicated as they are in this no. movie. Yeah. Like, it's moving its, its eyes, eyes, its, its ears. Eye, yeah, everything. Like, you know, um, so I don't know if Anthony Hopkins is actually um, I bet he is. operating the dummy or not. Or if he's actually doing the, 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 the voice throwing. He's he, doing the, the voice he, throwing. He voices, you see him do it. Yeah, you do see his throat move and things like that, but I don't know if it is like if that's just filming and then they dub over him. I think his physical acting's tremendous. His, his physical acting is tremendous. Um, the doll, like or the dummy, doll or dummy, I don't know what you want to call him. Um, like dummy. they put him in different like positions. So like, you know, you you never know if the dummy's alive or not. You know, but like it'll be well, something will be happening in, in the. Foreground or background, it's magic. They and distract the, you, and then and, boom, and, he and moves. they'll zoom out, and, and like you'll see the dummy, and it's like, 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 did it move? Like, you know, it'll be like on the couch, and Anthony Hopkins, because Hopkins talks to the dummy, like yeah. it's like it's a real thing, and like it's definitely an extension of his psychology definitely. or life. Yeah, and you know, it'll be in the frame, and it'll just be like, like looking at him, like laying on the couch, it's just laying down, but it's like it's it's you know, it is a character within the actual movie. Um, I I'm I'm not a big fan of like the dummy things. Well, like I'm also kind of surprised that this movie um, with with the dummy, it so takes itself so seriously. Like yeah. it's so well made too. Like it's a really well made movie, but ninety percent of the movies that involve the uh, dummy and a ventriloquist would be like tongue in cheek or goofy or right. or like really wild and over the top, like the Tales in the Crypt episode with Don Rickles and Bobcat or something like that. This mm-hmm. one I I really like. It's really just a genuinely creepy, well-made thriller. It is a yeah, um, you know, because like like when I think dummy, I think like goosebumps or like I'll think like something like Chucky. Or, yeah, <laughs> you, you, you know, know, Chucky's a doll. Y- he's yeah. a doll, but he, like it's the Talk same. Talk about Slappy from Goosebumps. Yeah, is that his name? Yeah, yeah. I never read the book though. I I I the the whole ventriloquist doll never really appealed to me. The music's fantastic. Music too. is fantastic in this movie. The 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 film is shot beautifully. Yeah. I love, um, I love like the lake stuff and it's, it's a bleak looking movie mm-hmm. but um, I was talking about this on the I Spit on Your Grave remake on the 22 Shots um, how they drain that movie of all color but it's not shot it doesn't look natural it mm-hmm. looks like fake 
fake bleakness, and this one looks genuinely bleakness. Like, there's right. still color around, but it looks very gloomy. It's just, that's why it probably also reminds me of an English movie. Right. But I, it looks good. It's a gorgeous-looking bleak movie, and mm -hmm. there's a difference between just putting a filter over your movie and actually shooting it correctly in the first place. Right. You know, like, like they, they make use of the actual, like, natural lighting yeah. in the movie, and, you know, whatever is drained color because of the atmosphere, objects are still, like, Brightly I'm sure they did still... color grading here, but I don't notice yeah, it. Yeah. While the other movie, I'm thinking they're just threw a filter. They, on you it. know, yeah. they just you know toned that down for some reason. I, yeah. I never understand. But uh, you know, I I like it quite a bit. I mean, it's mm -hmm. obviously not as good as last week's movie. No, no. I mean, that's and it doesn't have the reputation of last week's movie either. Right. To be honest. Right. Um, but I. I I think it's a, it's kind of a nice little hidden gem. It's in a competitive year though, 78. We have stuff like Dawn of the Dead and Alien mm -hmm. and Rabbit. It's just it's a very competitive year in 78 for me at least. Um I did enjoy it though. Um I guess we're going to read from the books and then we'll get into our ratings. I'm going to do creature features here. Um Jeremy's pissed that he's got to still read from these books. He thought it would end with Hammer Time. Like like I, like I just thought that these were like specifically Hammer movies despite looking through them for a year and I'm like I always still gotta read these books. This makes no sense. These aren't Hammer movies. <laughs> there's a million. There's not a million Hammer. Can't movies. even do my Hammer action at the All start right. of the video. Go All on. right, you still do it anyways. It didn't stop you. <laughs> um, we got Magic here. Um, this is John Sandler's Creature Features, um, 1978. Two and a half out of five. So not a huge fan. Locally, Loki version of William Goldman's novel depicting a demented ventriloquist whose dummy Fats, that's his name, overpowers his personality. The slasher aspects are minimized as director Rich Jarrett focuses on the warped character of Anthony Hopkins. And Margaret Durr is a laid back performance as a childhood sweetheart whom Hopkins returns to during his descent into madness. Goldman adapted his own novel. Oh, so that means he must have wrote the screenplay. Ed Larder, Burgess Meredith, Video Laser, Nelson. So, um, John Stanley, not too big a huge fan of this movie, it seems. Yeah. Um, so, Magic, two out of four stars for this book, I believe. Um, so, here we go. There's nothing particularly magical about this predictable ventriloquist and his dummy thriller with Hopkins as a timid, voice-throwing magician who lives vicariously through his foul-mouthed puppet who may or may not be committing murders. Hopkins and Anne Margaret, as a hometown girl he had a hopeless crush on in high school, are good and Meredith is even better as Hopkins' sagacious manager, but this routine version of William Goldman's novel, most of which was told from the dummy's point of view, never really takes off. Memorable harmonica-dominated score by Jerry Goldsmith, though. Yeah, Goldsmith's score is fantastic. I should have mentioned it was Goldsmith. And he, right. he I didn't know this was based on a novel. And it's batshit crazy to think that it's the dummy's point of view in the novel. Right. Um, I would yeah. actually probably prefer to see it in the dummy's point of view. I feel like that would be an art film. You're also the guy, the proponent of wanting to see one for the cuckoo's nest by um, Chief yes. Bromden's point of view. As a film, which right. would be much more difficult, I think. But it would be better. It would be more accurate than the novel. And it would be right. I still think Love of the Cougar's Nest is one of the greatest films I've ever made. So. Eh, but I full think... Full shit. I'm going to go on a tangent about One Flew Over the Cougar's Nest. full shit. Like, imagine, like, because, you know, when you're reading the book, like, Brahm is... His, his delusions are, like, animated, like, everybody is, like, very mechanical. Yeah, when the colonel dies, the machines pull him out of the bed yeah. and strip him like he's a car or something. So imagine watching one through of his the cuckoo's nest, and every time he has one of his, like, like visions or delusions, it's like an animated sequence. I'm like... You sound like you're talking about an Alan Parker uh, Pink Floyd thing. But, I don't know who that <laughs> is. All right, but um, <laughs> it sounds like a Pink Floyd movie. Uh, yeah. I, I, I like it. 
I think I'm going to come 7.5 out of 10. You know, guys, I'm a performance guy, so I, I really like the performances. I like the atmosphere, and uh, I, I didn't couldn't compare it to the novel. So right. Um, I will give this a two out of five. So for just Meredith, bumps it up a star and a half, so maybe three and a half out of five. But once Meredith is out of this movie, my interest is gone i like meredith he's, I, he's he very was good fantastic and i just wanted to see more of him you should watch this <laughs> he's in uh, so many of these 70s horror movies i know he's in the sentinel he's in burnt offerings he just pops up in a lot of these movies were like we this. watching one i think it was an anthology one where he was like a like a fortune teller or a sideshow oh guy. torture garden Tor- is that we had like the hat or something? Yeah, like, and oh, a, okay. a Jack Plants was in there, and yes. he was obsessed with Poe. And he was like, "I'm looking for the ultimate Poe novel <laughs> that lost like Poe stories." And right. he's just like, he's just breathing uncontrollably. <laughs> That's like Jack Palance's uh, like weird mo. I always call him Palance. I, his name is Palance. I always call him Palance. I always mispronounce his name. And last week. I gotta correct this. I kept calling Nancy Allen Karen Allen. There's two different actresses. They're both fantastic. They've both been in a hundred movies I love. And I, I, I said their names wrong. Was this the one... Um... This is RoboCop Lady as Nancy Allen. And Karen Allen is the one in Scrooge and um, Cruising and everything else. So who was in RoboCop? Nancy Allen. It was the bully. Yes. She's and the Lewis. teacher was no one. I don't know who the teacher is <laughs> off the top of my head right now. This is... This is always going to happen to me. How, how, I can't. I should have messed with you and been like, the teacher is Karen Allen. You're like, what? Well, the entire time we were watching Magic, like I kept on forgetting that Anthony Hopkins is a real person. And I'm like, like David Warner, what? Like you're just doing the same thing you did in Straw Dogs. He said, what are you talking? See, he looks the same to me. You see, they don't look anything like you have face blindness. And it's weird that the dummy is definitely obviously made up to look like Hopkins. Yeah. Look at everything. Yeah. Like so, the dummy was fantastic. It, I think it's a great movie. Jeremy mm-hmm. gave it seven out of 10, right? You gave it three and a half out of five. Yeah. But really this is like a two star movie out of five. Like a fifty percenter. <laughs> yeah, like you know. I think it's great. I think it's pretty good. I think it's yeah. kind of a little hidden gem. It's I, a C minus. I, I don't think it's one that I would watch thirty, forty more times. Maybe a couple more times. I won't ever watch it again. Okay, well, but it's it's worth watching. I just won't watch it again. <laughs> next week is Doctor X. Is a Jeremy pick. Yeah. And he picked it solely because it's on the opening of that song in uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. The if you look through the list, half of them is half my Doctor X and Forbidden Planet with um, Tarant- Anne Francis with a Forbidden Planet. Tarantula went over the hill. Uh, Flash Gordon in silver underwear. Like my list is Rocky Horror Picture Show, science fiction double feature. Outrageous. And then a couple of other movies that I wanted to see that I had. To and then a couple I conned you into seeing. And, and then a, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I was like, like a couple. There's like, like ten. I was like, you gotta have Martin on there. <laughs> you gotta do Let Sleeping Corpses right. Live. You ain't seen that one. Oh, yet. I filled up my list already. Put these ones on yours. I was like, no, okay. But, but then you made me put Planet of the Apes because I never saw it on there. And Logan's Run, right? Are we doing Logan's Run? Yeah, I never saw Logan's Run that's either. A that's one. that's bad. A Planet of the Apes is unforgivable. Uh, How did I not see that? Yeah, that's so weird to it's me. Like up. Planet of the Apes played twenty four seven for fifteen years on from the t- time on I was. TV. Yeah, on, so like, I don't know how you didn't because I saw Planet that crummy Apes. remake when it came out, and I was like. Tim Burton, I was like, ah. Oh, I didn't even see that. that by, by the time that came out, with Tim, I was done with Tim Burton. We were like 12, 13, I probably was like that. Yeah, Tim Burton kind of had a bad rep when I was when he, when he I was that age. Well, it was, it was like Mars Attacks, and Mars Attacks is fantastic It's film. fun, it's fun. And then, like, I think two years go by, nothing comes with Tim Burton, and then it's like, here's Plan B. It's, I'm like, Sleepy oh. Hollow came out after Mars Attacks, didn't it? It came out after, um, Plan B Apes. Sleepy I Hollow, know. I thought it was like 2000. I don't know. Ish. 
This has nothing to do with magic, though. Yeah, it has very... Oh, why isn't Pink Flamingos on your list? We should, like... Stop. We're out of here. It's over. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fine. When your heart begins to pound, when your mind begins to go, keep telling yourself it's only a movie. Magic, a terrifying love story. Magic, rated R. Abracadabra, I sit on his knee. Presto, changeo, and now he is me. Pocus, pocus, we take her to bed. Magic is fun. We are dead. Josephine Levine presents Magic. A terrifying love story starring Anthony Hopkins, Anne Margaret, and Burgess Meredith. Rated R. Okay, guys, let's get into some questions. Nick Moore. I like the look of the phone. Very James Bond. Does it come with any deadly gadgets or apps? I don't think so, considering it's an old, like, 10-year-old phone. It's a piece of junk. Um, then we have, what's a pet peeve of yours when when... You order movies. Mine, when the case arrives, chipped. Yeah, that drives me nuts. Um, rattlers. I call them rattlers when the disc is rattling in there. Or when you don't even get it. That sucks, too. But rattlers is really bad because you can replace the case unless it's one of these deluxe editions. But a rattler. A rattler drives me nuts because you don't know if the disc is scratched up. It's almost like, I need to watch this right now to make sure it still works. It's fine. Um, Jeremy doesn't like Stephen King books or films. Is there an author whose books and their film adaptations just leave you cold or who you outright hate? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, you know, I, I used to like Jack Ketchum a lot. And then, like, I still like the books. But, like, when I rewatched Girl Next Door, it just didn't work for me. Like, um, uh, The Lost did. I mean, I haven't watched that in a while. But I feel like The Lost would work. But Girl Next Door rewatching it just did not work for me. I, I just felt like it wasn't accurate as accurate to the story. And, like, you didn't get into the psychology of the main character. It just kind of lost its meaning for me so that movie that's i know it's not the book but the movie it just kind of left me like eh, not really my thing um the adaptation of red never worked for me either the um because i read the book and i thought the book was okay but i just was like the red was like a a 20 it was like it should be like a 20 minute movie and it just felt stretched out the book feels stretched out too so um but i really like stuff like cover by him i thought cover was excellent and um the loss i thought was excellent um but okay here we go did you ever prank someone in high school did you ever get pranked um, yeah, but I mean, we would do like prank phone calls. I mean, I don't know what kind of pranks, like, I mean, I didn't like do super pranks, but prank phone calls were always great. Um, just do stupid stuff. Like, um, you, you take like, your friends, like call this guy and do a prank and you know, we're only like 16 doing it, but there's this funny joke where like, I don't know if it's funny now, it's probably very inappropriate, but aren't all pranks. I call and, um, I just put on a stupid voice of like this detective Rizzle homicide. We found your cell phone on a guy, a cell phone number on a guy in uh, Colin Park who was dead. And just like the kid would freak out as you do that. Like he went and got his dad and it was just like, I was like, all right, man, I got to break with you. This is a prank. And I, just like stuff like that. Just fun pranks like that. I mean, maybe they're not fun. Maybe they're considered highly inappropriate, but whatever. I mean, we used to do stupid stuff to each other all the time, prank each other, but I can't really remember much of it anymore. Um, Ilk Vomit. Okay. So what will you have Jeremy do now for, now for the blind spot intro? Will he look off in a distance as you say it's time for blind spot as he motions his hands as a blind person or perhaps he'll wear a blindfold real quick as you say it's time for blind spot. I don't know. What should we do? What should we do for blind spot? I don't know. 
Um, then we have some uh, answers. Uh, last week, I basically asked you guys what was your favorite place to buy physical media online or in person. So we have uh, Ken Coakley. I live in western Massachusetts, a few towns away from Holliston, Adam Green's hometown, and setting for his and Joe Lynch's comedy series. And I drive 45 minutes to Salem, New Hampshire, every Monday night to a place called Bull Moose. They have it all. Screen Factory, Blue Underground, Arrow, Kino, Severin, Synapse, Vinegar Syndrome, everything. They put the week's new releases out around 11 on Monday night, so we get what we want, and they ring them at midnight. Another cool thing is that New Hampshire is tax-free, so I don't have to pay sales tax. Yeah, Bull Moose is the shit. I order from them occasionally, and they always give you points and good deals. Um, now, Bull Moose is the place to pre-order your Screen Factory, so get on there and check, and they'll put the Screen Factory Blu-rays up sometimes early, like for pre-order, and get them right when they put them up. They're usually like 20 bucks, and um, you get points off too, so and you cash in your points. So 20 for a brand new blue uh, Screen Factory is pretty good. Um, Travis Wright, Diabolic DVD is good. I enjoy the new segment and look forward to more. Thank you. Then we have Nick Mua. Don't know if they'll reopen in these troubled times, but FNAC is a... Uh, excellent home media shop. They have shops spread across Europe, usually with a whole floor, sometimes two, simply stocked with DVDs, Blu-rays, uh, Collector's Dream, for sure, or Nightmare if you're on a budget. Adrian Hall, uh, I accidentally said uh, <laughs> I misspelled physical, and it looked like, you know, the medium kind of physical, and he said through a fortune teller, a telling medium, and I was just, yeah, yeah, don't ever type early in the morning with uh, autocorrect. Sean Donahue, Grindhouse Video, James Higgins, Amazon is all, is about all I use. I only have a Walmart, and we don't, we know that I don't work. But I'd love to have some suggestions. A lot of older 50s, 60s horror are hard to get a hold of. That they are. Uh, Abigail uh, Dagon, Amazon, Black Lava, Grindhouse Video. There are honestly a ton of great online shops. Uh, Faith Botwin, Diabolic and FYE, Timothy Matthew Hayes, Amazon Prime, Craig Brockton, Vintage Stock. They have Arrow, Screen Factory, and everything. Mark Humphreys, HMV. They still have a preference to buying an actual store and browsing as well. Shop online a lot, too, at places like Arrow, Vinegar Syndrome, 88 Films, but avoid Amazon. Amazon when I can. Dave Luton, Amazon, 88 Films website, Arrow Films website, Eureka Films, 101 Films, Shameless Films, uh, Wow HD website, and HMV Shop in Liverpool. Cool. That's a British guy. Uh, Kaiser Souza. I mean, just if you guys are, you know, because some people don't have region free, so I'll let you know where, which countries and stuff they're from. So Kaiser Souza, Amazon for most part these days. Uh, Ken Meehan, import CDs is the main site to use, but I go through Amazon and eBay a lot too. James D. Cokes, uh, sadly here in Finland, physical media, the good kind is hard to find, but there are a couple stores. Their prices tend to be high side, but whenever I go, I try to buy at least one thing. Have to help the small boutique, boutique stay alive. Online, I love the layout and usability of the Vinegar Center website. It's bright, easy to navigate. Products are Info are, uh, Products and info are easy to find. Pictures look great and consistent. Love it, and it's international friendly. Love Vinegar Syndrome. Samuel Glass Jr., Amazon mostly. Then Shout slash Scream Factory. Twilight Time, now that they're going out of business, of course. And I just placed my first order ever with Severn. Never ordered from Vinegar Syndrome either. Though their stuff is right up my alley, I hear. Yeah, um, wait till the Black Friday sale and just go nuts at Vinegar Syndrome. Robert D., HMV, and Flop are a couple of very few places to actually go in person in the UK. If I import from the US, I usually use Wow HD. Robert D., actually thinking of ordering direct from Vinegar Syndrome for the first time. I want that forget forgotten jolly set big time. Nathan Rumler, eBay, Diabolic, Cinema Wasteland, John Holloway, Cinema Wasteland in particular, the Synapse and Severin tables. And then we got Chris Leppard. Good question. It's been online for the past few years. Sometimes it all depends on what certain sales come out. Let's let's see when I can. A Barnes & Noble for a Criterion Collection sale. Amazon for sale items. BFI film sale site for the Arrow and Third Films. BFI. So many different sites. 
Um, Kat um, Phoenix. I don't know how to say your last name, so somebody correct me. Grindhouse Video Tampa is my choice. I love being able to go in and physically see the movies I want to buy. Tommy Hoffman, Grindhouse Video. Jill Z. Ekergen, Zia Records in Tucson. Dave Z. Prime, mostly because I'm impatient I have to, and I have the two-day shipping now. Chris Coldenberg, uh, Diabolic DVD, Screen Factory. Stephen Bureau, Grindhouse. Uh, Brad Hawkalock. Diabolic DVD, Grindhouse Video Tampa, uh, Jordan Bibby, online because it's Larry Limited, where I can buy in stores, Justin Burning, Diabolic DVD, Peter Engelin, stores in the Netherlands are mostly gone, but sometimes I find something. I order from Zavi online, James Bickert, uh, Diabolic, Amazon UK, Amazon Germany, Italy, France, Spain, Amazon, Grindhouse Video, uh, Arrow UK, Deep Discount DVD, Zavi, Idiot Films, Indicator, Kino, Criterion, um, Family Video, Severin, Shameless, Warner Brothers, Mondo Macabro, Definitely Vinegar Syndrome, Never, Shout, Slash, Scream Factory. Um, Chris Duncan, Severn Films, Grindhouse Releasing, Diabolic DVD, Full Moon Features, Troma, Dark Delicacies, both online and at convention signings. Jeremy Freeman, Family Video, Jason Lindbergh, Definitely Vinegar Syndrome, David Gibson. I use ones that I already mentioned, but I don't think anyone said Hamilton Books. They have limited inventory, but the prices are great. Uh, second Hamilton Books. Keith Christian, Diabolic DVD, most secure shipping I've come across. Bobby Jose, Diabolic DVD, Amazon FYE. Oh, and Diabolic DVD. Uh, Zuzi Ayla, Grindhouse, Diabolic, Unearth, Zia, Unearth, Unearth, Unearth. Uh, Madeline Deering, uh, Edie's and the Exchange in Pittsburgh. Edie says everything you can always find gems in the used section. Belinda McKay, Diabolic DVD, Scream Factory, Amazon, and Best Buy. And then we have Bill Casanelli, my local Bow Moose store. Tom uh, Horsball, Diabolic, and Amazon Germany. Jason Fetters, Grindhouse Video Tampa. Uh, Glenn D. Worthington, Grindhouse Video. Ryan Vincent Logston, Cinema Wasteland. Brian Kilby, yes, eBay and Amazon for sure, but going straight to the source is the best, I believe. Arrow, Synapse, Severn, Vinegar Center, Blue Underground, Umbrella, Diabolic, Shop Factory. Sometimes buying from the actual company's website gives you more discounts and you support their site. An awesome company. The only thing better is finding their vendor tables at conventions. I agree 100%. Um, Ned Christensen, I am blessed to live in Los Angeles where we have Amoeba Records. The entire second floor is DVDs. It's very nostalgia looking through the library of physical media. Brick and Mortar stores will always be my fave and preferred. Carol Downing, um, Ned Christensen, there used to be a few places around where I lived that carried a lot of non-mainstream stuff, but now it's normal, normie shit. Uh, Scott Shermer, there's a cool store in Seattle that comes to mind. I think it's called Scarecrow. Toby Nicole Metz, conventions, usually decent sales and stuff. Edit from the legit tables only, even though I'm not seeing many bootleg vendors in the past couple of years. Yeah, I, I hate when bootlegs are like um, titles you can get anywhere. Like you'll see a bunch that are at like you go over to the vinegar syndrome table and then the bootleg table has them too. You're like, man, you got to take those out. If it if it's easy to find on a site, don't bootleg that stuff ever. But um, like and sell it especially. Uh, Casey Robertson, Grindhouse Video, Jonathan Wilhelm, where I. Where don't I buy physical releases? Bought a DVD at a gas station yesterday. And, and about uh, bootlegs and stuff. Like, if the movie's impossible to find, I understand watching it in a, in a thing. But, like, if it's, like, actively printed and you can buy it, I always buy it or rent it. But if it's not, I have watched movies when I shouldn't have. Only when I can't find them anywhere else. Like, I try to buy it or rent it. But if you can't, sometimes you gotta, you know... Uh, Dexter uh, Aruda, where I live in southern Ontario, there's a cinema, one that sells a slew of films in store and also will order almost anything you want if they don't have it in store. Screen Factory, Criterion, Arrow, you name it, they have it all. And also, The Beat Goes On, which is a used film and music store with the most down-to-earth staff that carries thousands of films, including some hidden gems, very often for incredible prices. And Tony Masiello, SOVHore.com. 
So um, the question of the week, guys, I want to know what franchise, if any, would you want to see me cover on the show or in, on the 22 shots or anything like that? Where would you want to see me cover a franchise and what would you want it to be? I think I've asked that before, but I'm just curious what, what it is. But uh, yeah, guys, let's hop into the update. Okay, guys, it's going to be fairly quick. We ain't got much here, but this one came in. This is the um, Tigers Are Not Afraid Steelbook. They didn't have a regular edition, so I grabbed the Steelbook. Great movie. It's on Shudder um, if you don't want to buy it, but I really like this movie. thought it was great. One of the best of the year. I'd recommend checking it out for sure. Got a DVD and a Blu-ray in there. Yeah, great stuff. Really good. Then we got, of course, had to get this. The Criterion of the Great Escape, one of my all-time favorites. Haven't watched it in years. Great cast here. Richard Attenborough, Steve McQueen, James Gardner, James Coburn, Charles Bronson. Tons of people in it. Uh, love it. Great movie, of course. And Criterion finally released it. Perfect place for it. We have a couple Allos. We have The Babysitter, Alicia Silverstone. Never seen this. Kind of a 90s thriller, if I'm not mistaken. Late 80s kind of deal. When, when was it made? But yeah. Had a good price on it. 1995, yeah. So, maybe in the vein of Poison Ivy or something. Then we have The Colossus of New York. Not seeing this one either, but uh, it was that Olive had that sale at deep discount and was like two for 20 or something like that. So I picked up a handful. We'll buy one, get one. This looks kind of cool. Had my eye on it for a while. Then we have a Screen Factory, The Bride. Really like this one from 85, so I grabbed the, the Blu ray. Good stuff. I like a lot of Frankenstein stories and this one was really cool and clancy brown plays the monster so gotta go for it and then last i got a horseball's daughter's film uh called what is i dare you to open your eyes uh yeah check this one out soon too pretty cool young filmmaker on the rise so yeah and uh they sent one of these here hopeless pictures life is a vulture Ain't that the truth. So I guess we're going to hop back uh, to the video. Okay, guys. Thank you very much for watching. As always, you guys have a good one. Hey.